Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International and author of a number of books on training, innovative training methods used throughout the world. Really enjoyed the, the most recent video available to Level 6 uh, on introducing the, the tactical development of a, of a young professional athlete. And I had a question in regards to the development of a tactical model. So the tactical model that was presented in the video was more for uh, an athlete with a direct opponent. Um, wondering how that, how we might best apply that model to sports such as powerlifting, swimming, or gymnastics, where you're competing either against yourself or against the clock. Yeah, great question, and and I'm glad you took advantage of that that video. It's an, it's a great live example of how we educate in all areas, and like one of the many things that distinguishes what I've developed in the way I work with athletes is the extent of education. And I don't mean giving them just a book to read or a folder of notes, but I engage them in, in extremely uh, directed, targeted and, and self, self-led self discovery on areas on a needs basis. So my my goal, my attitude, my expectation and my experience is that they'll be better educated than any physical preparation coach they ever work with, which does make it difficult because it's tough for them to gain respect for future, for future ones. But that's irrespective. We're not here to make friends or otherwise. The bottom line is we want to empower them as much as we can to, for them to drive their own success. And that's just another example of how we work with them in a level that would probably uh, exceed the knowledge of most coaches. Uh, but it was pretty much for a junior pro. So tactics are, are interesting because of the overlap. And, and as you heard on the video, I talked to overlap with technical. I talked to overlap probably with psychological and with physical. So the overlap's there. And and as you identified, we talked about two aspects of tactical. We talked about your own and, and an opponent. Now, in, in a sport where you, you're perceived to be not competing against another component, opponent, and I say perceived, then perhaps the focus will be greater on what you do. So the tactics come down to, you know, how, how long you, do, you wait before you get your gear on or off and uh, what angle you approach the platform at, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a lot of tackle that we can do. But your question was how does tactics relate to others uh, in a individual sport like that? And I, I really want to stress the, the that is very much the alive and well, but it would be something you'd only teach at the higher level. In, in other words, the athlete I was working with, he, he wouldn't have been ready for that just yet because – when you start teaching athletes some of the finer aspects of, of tactics uh, as they relate to sports such as powerlifting, where they're not in direct uh, contact with their opponent during the execution of their own of their own sporting movement, then it's possibly more relevant at a higher, uh, a later a level. But there are uh, there are many tactics, and I've I've seen them used, uh, and I think there's many tactics we can take from other sports as well, and. And I, I believe a lot of them relate to, in that case, more indirect and, and more relate to psychological um, manipulation, and that's a tactic. And that's what I'm talking about, the overlap of the, of the qualities, but to, to manipulate the, the opponent. And I'm going to give you one or two really simple examples, but I don't want you to think that that's where it starts or ends. One of the strategies in sport is to either lull the opponent into false sense of confidence or to intimidate them and scare them from the outset. So in in lifting, for example, uh, a, a tactic that would be intended to uh, affect the thoughts of an opponent would be how you manage your weights in the warm-up or what loads you took in the warm-up where they might be watching. So you might 
not be lifting as much in the warm-up. You might appear to be struggling a little bit in the warm-up. And these are just minor examples of tactics aimed to improve your situation by impacting another person's, in this case, their psychology. So we can't go out there and blow on the bar. We can't hit a ball such that the, you know, it's harder for them to lift the bar. We can't interfere with them during their execution. But we can do other tactics, and, and believe me, they are used. Um, and, and that's the underplay one. The, there's an overplay as well. So, yes, my tactics relate, as I explained in the video, both to you and your opponent in all scenarios. And it's just a matter of, as you, as you were thinking, that it, it's just a matter of the, the relevant importance and the timing of the introduction of the teaching dependent upon the sport. How's that, Mike? That's fantastic, Ian. Thank you very much. Yeah, so it's, it, the, op, the options are there, and, you know, we just peel out the options on a needs basis. The, the, the goal for, of successful coaching is to always have something more for the athlete. So you always have something that you're waiting to teach them based upon my, my approach, which is, you know, clean everything you could help them with, but only roll it out when it's appropriate to do so. So you be confident in knowing that there's more to come. And, you know, realistically, if you had an athlete for a 20-year competitive cycle at the elite level, you should be able to continually improve them, and that's our goal. If there's any other discussion on that, or, in, or we're going to move on to the next question. So, Rob, don't leave it hanging. Thanks, Ian. So my question relates to um, team training sessions here. If, a, if an athlete or child turns up late to a session and perhaps misses part of the warm-up and also disrupts the culture just by doing so, how do you best deal with this? Well, I'm, I'm a lot more relaxed on on, on in many aspects of the, than people would expect. There's this perception or a stereotype that we're, you know, we're just hard nuts about everything. But, you know, the only thing that I'm really focused on is the scoreboard. And for me, you know, if someone's occasionally turning out blade, it's not an issue. If it was a pattern, then, you know, we might have a quiet chat. But it, I, don't, I don't need a big stick to get them to come in line on that because at the end of the day, if, take, using my approach to sport, if they're turning out blade, they've got to ask themselves the question, what, what, am I, what is it about what I'm doing that they're not so excited they want to be here early for? And... So I take as much responsibility and I want to learn. I don't want, just want to use to have the big stick and then close down. Also in junior sports, there's other factors like, you know, the parents drive them, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more relaxed on that. Now, if you're, in a, if, if you're in an elite sporting culture where you just don't arrive late for anything, then whatever the cultural boundaries are need to be held. And I, I'm good with that as well, provided it's not a written rule and provided there's not a formal penalty because I'm not supportive of that. But you really need to narrow down your 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 values and your culture. So, you know, if you felt that it wasn't affecting your ability to win on the scoreboard and it wasn't happening on a regular basis, then, you know, you just you know, don't need to make a big issue of it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can address that, but probably in a, probably in a lot lesser penalty or impunitive approach than you would imagine. Does that make sense, Rob? Definitely, thank you. So as a follow-on to that as well, if, if for whatever reason an athlete did miss part of a warm-up, for example, um, how would you go about integrating them into the session without risking injury? Well, that's, that's uh, it's an issue and you need to, you don't want to take your focus off the others. You need to just say, listen, okay, you haven't warmed up. You've got to come in this really progressively. You know, you, they're not going to kill themselves if they progressively re enter a game. You know, it's, it's their loss that they've missed the stretching and whatever. 
and there's a mile risk, but as long as it's progressive. So you just ensure that they're, they're progressively raising their workload, but you don't want to take your eyes off everyone else who was there at the time. So, yeah. you know, it's really important if you don't understand why they're late. You know, is it, there's 101 reasons why they might have been late, and it's, if you can understand what it is, then you can address it rather than, as I said, just, just applying the big stick. Thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, actually pretty, I'm actually pretty concerned for an athlete if they make a, a habit of missing the, the stretching at the start. You know, that's really not good. Uh, and I'll talk to them from that perspective too. I'll just say, listen, you know, do, do you think it's good that you're coming late and, and let them get insight into how they value what they're missing? So yeah. it's, it's not just about it's not always just about being on time for the sake of being on time. Although in some cultures where that's the some some teams where that's the culture, that, that's fair enough. But for me, it can be more importantly related to you know the specifics of what they may be missing out on. So you had another question, Rob? Thank you, Ben. My second question um, comes from the How to Teach book. I was reading the section today, and there was there was mention of um, communication. And being aware of where an athlete touches themselves on their body when they're communicating. What are the possible meanings and interpretations when an athlete or anyone really touches a certain part of their body? For example, in response to a question you ask or whether it's something they just do during training? Oh, that's a massive question. That's a massive question. That's a really big Pandora's box. So we'll just peek it open a little bit. We're not going to open that one too much. But I'm going to give a real good example. In sport, it's important to study people's habits and understand, first of all, if they change their habits. Changing of a habit is significant. Now, I'll give you an example. And, and, and why this is important is that you can understand how to help them or you can understand what are the chances or how to respond to it, what are the chances of success and how to respond to it. I'm going to give you a really good example. If a kicker in a – let's have a free-throw shooter in basketball at the free-throw line – or if I'm a, uh, kicking a penalty in, in rugby union or league, anything that is a controlled environment where all the focus is on execution in a on one person, everyone's basically standing still or, not, or they're not moving too much, and then it's a, so much pressure and then they control all the variables. I mean, they control the wind, etc. but they're in control of so much more. So there's more, more pressure, more expectation. If, if you noted someone had a pattern and then changed their pattern, you could conclude that they're probably not going to succeed in that execution. Now, in addition to that, you can learn a lot from their pattern. Um, I think one of the greatest examples, and it's very contemporary, is if you have a look at the Welsh goal kicker, the Welsh Rugby Union goal kicker at the World Cup. Yeah. I've never seen anybody move as much as he does. I mean, he looks like he's on, he's on uppers. He, 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 he looks like he's had red cordial. But there was one kick in the most recent game where I said, he's not going to get this. And he hadn't missed a kick or a tournament, apparently. Um, and I said that because his duration between when he walked back and when he, when he commenced his run-in had changed. So that's just an example of the power of, of subconsciously developing the competence to watch body language. But there is definitely a lot of messages uh, in that. But it's probably a... A pretty big topic, um, Rob. I'm not sure whether we can open up on that one now. Um, but let's do some simple things. Let's do some real simple things. Uh, if an athlete was talking to you and they had a habit of covering their mouth, 
with the hand, what could you read into that? Um, whatever they're saying, they're literally trying to cover up. Exactly. Perhaps. And not or, and or not confident. Um, let's say another one, um, if they were putting the hand over their eyes or closing yeah. their eyes at a certain point in, in their communication. Yeah, they don't want to see what's taking place. Exactly. So this is these are really fundamental basics. So we just started with some basic stuff where you can start understanding how people are feeling when they're communicating because so, there's a great saying that the person can choose words that are lie. They can, their mind can create, can create deception, but their body doesn't lie. And it, it takes a very skilled person to override the body's instincts. Most people don't have that skill and that, and you can read their body quite effectively. So they're, they're, it's a, it's a great area of discussion. It's a great area of topic, but that's probably about as far as I want to go at this point uh, on that one. That's really great. Thank you. And, and one of the reasons for that, Rob, is because you, you would need to balance your education. Everyone needs to balance their education. If you become an expert in an area which is, you know, using the Pareto principle of 80-20, you, know, you can put 80% in, in energy to something that gives you 20% return. There are many fundamentals that we want to ensure that you've developed any competence levels before we get to that level of competence or that level of focus. And I'm going to say you. I'm talking about any coach in their coach education journey. And having said that, most coaches don't go on a journey. They just um, go around in circles. So most coaches will go and kick the tyres here and do a weekend seminar, kick the tyres there, kick the tyres here. They don't actually go now. They just collect the information. Whereas you know from what we do, if you hang around long enough, you'll start to see the continuity and you'll start to see the direction you're taking. And as per our earlier discussion, the onus is on me and our coaches in the educational program to ensure that you, when I say you, I mean a student, can be improved over a number of decades, uh, that's, that's, our, that's our goal, that's our expectation, that's the outcome. 